Welcome to Fast Casual Insider. I'm Jerry White, Associate Publisher of Plate Magazine and host of today's podcast. Today we're talking with Kathleen Richardson, founder of Urban Farmhouse Market and Cafe, a fast casual concept operating in the culinary hotbed of Richmond, Virginia. Urban Farmhouse Market and Cafe focuses on seasonal, locally sourced ingredients. Kathleen is herself a seasoned executive with over 20 years restaurant experience. She's held senior roles in marketing, sales, general management, and operations for brands like Starbucks, Panera, and McDonald's. Today, we're gonna be talking about workforce and marketing challenges for operators looking to grow their businesses. So let's get started. Kathleen, welcome to the podcast. I must say that the name of your restaurant, Urban Farmhouse Market and Cafe, to me says it all and includes keywords that are driving the fast casual marketplace today. You have urban, farmhouse, market, and cafe, all translating to a menu emphasizing fresh, seasonal, and locally sourced. Bring us up to date on your journey. Tell us how you came up with that name and uh, what drove you to the concept. Thank you, Jerry. I am very excited to be here and excited to talk about Urban Farmhouse Market and Cafe and the journey that I've had over the last 10 years or so. As you had mentioned, I do have a pretty um, lengthy background for major category leaders in the restaurant industry, McDonald's for about 15 years, Starbucks, and then also Panera. I did have an entrepreneurial drive to start my own fast casual concept. I fell in love with the fast casual concept when I first lived in St. Louis. I was working on the McDonald's business, but obviously there is the start of St. Louis Bread Company, and I found that very intriguing. This was in the mid-90s or so, and I continued to follow that. From there, moved on, of course, to Starbucks and Panera. But in the back of my mind, I love this idea of getting healthier food, better for you food, but in a quick manner, in a quick, casual manner. So I determined that after a lot of research that I would return to my roots in Richmond, Virginia and start this concept. I knew this market relatively well because it had been in my portfolio of markets, both with Starbucks and with Panera, but also having grown up here. So there was a little bit of a couple of reasons why coming here. And I knew it was a very strong market. It was at the time, the number one market for Panera. I've since found out why since I've moved back to Richmond, but I came back here to start this concept, Urban Farmhouse, to start Fast Casual. And I had determined, having been in the franchisee world and in a world like Starbucks, that I wasn't necessarily going to initially follow the franchisee model. And I didn't. And there were lots of things that went into it, but the idea of developing menus based upon the growing seasons here in Virginia was certainly something that was kind of the base of what we wanted to do here. And then to develop our menus around that. I wanted it to be simple, not too complicated. Sandwiches, salads, breakfast sandwiches, things that I uh, had learned from Panera, for example. I also knew that that third place feel from Starbucks was really important, especially as many more people were working from home and on the go, that that was important as well. So I tried to combine the things that I had learned, the things that I liked, that I thought was on trend with the companies I had been with for the last 20 years or so in developing Urban Farmhouse. 
came back here in Richmond. It just so happened to be 2008 to start that concept. <laughs> so um, it wasn't the ideal time and I was delayed a little bit, but we finally were able to launch the first urban farmhouse in early 2010 in the midst of a major snowstorm. Oh, wow. And uh, I said in the in the intro that you have uh, currently four units uh, operating. Is that correct? Right now we have three, three. Okay. and we uh, but we are getting ready to hopefully sign a deal in the next thirty days or so for our fourth location. Great. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Let me go back for a moment. You were talking about Starbucks and Panera and, of course, McDonald's, which might be at the farthest end of the spectrum for uh, casual and QSR restaurants. You mentioned also that you have a strong entrepreneurial drive in you. Was it that that said, I want to do my own thing rather than seeing how I could contribute to the companies that you had worked for? In other words, did you take it as far as you could with Panera or Starbucks and really wanted to just do my own thing? I think it was in me to do my own thing. I felt that I could do it. And honestly, having worked with McDonald's for so many years, I did initially think, okay, I don't want to go the franchisee route because I knew the challenges of that. And I think perhaps my own personality of being able to control the product, control the brand and seeing the challenges of having worked with franchisees for so many years, I knew that wasn't the route that I wanted to go. And I also felt confident enough. Now I look back and like, I don't know what made me think that, but I did think that. And I said, well, you know what? I can develop my own concept. I don't know how I would think about that today, but then I thought that I could and I did. And I did learn a lot from McDonald's as well. That was a company that was just very sophisticated in analysis and in branding. And so I brought that into my thinking as well when developing the concept and how to measure success and so forth. Even though sort of conceptually it was more a combination of Starbucks and Panera combined, but there was a lot of rigidity in that. You know what? We need to make sure that we understand the numbers, we're running things by the numbers, that I have the support that I need so that we're doing the right thing. And so that's all been very helpful for me as well. But I would say after having been with McDonald's for so many years, I'm like, I don't think that I'm going to go the franchise route. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Well, there's something to be said about that as well. So uh, (laughs) I take it you took kind of the best of your learnings and also probably learned what you wanted to avoid and looking at the launch of your own concept. And as you look at the landscape there in and around Richmond, did you feel that, you know, what you wanted to bring to the marketplace did not exist at all in any form? Or talk about a little bit about the concept and how you thought, uh, hey, this is going to be really unique in a very changing market. It's interesting you say that. I will say that when we opened in February of 2010, this market or the majority of the country didn't really understand what fast casual was. And in Richmond, Virginia, they did not. We see what people would say about Urban Farmhouse and people didn't quite get who we were. Are they a coffee house? Are they a cafe? What are they? And that didn't concern me too much because I knew that over time we would establish who we were. Now, you know, 10 years later, fast casual is very common, but back then we were absolutely the first here. And frankly, in my research, pretty much first in and around the country in multiple units. And my goal was always to have multiple units. I I did try when designing 
the space to think about the things that I liked or I thought that there were challenges with specifically Panera and Starbucks. I knew that we needed to have integrity around our coffee portfolio as well as our food offerings from the beginning. I was with Starbucks at a time they were really growing outside of the major markets, and I was involved in the early development of food offerings and improving upon that, and I knew that's where they struggled. Likewise, with Panera, on the coffee side is where they were struggling at the time, and I wanted to make sure we were establishing that we were the best in both of those areas from the beginning. Also, this goes back to McDonald's days primarily, but I knew what an effort it was to create new news, to have a promotion, an LTO. And so I felt that by having seasonal menus that would change each year, that would be the new news. And so even to this day, today, actually, we launched our summer menu and it's the only time of the year here in Richmond that we will offer a BLT. What we find is that every year people are saying, oh gosh, I can't wait until the summer menu starts because I can get the BLT again or some other summer favorite. We change our menu seven times a year. So it's new news. And so that's where the effort lies. And it's not all about getting geared up for a short-term promotion because now it's part of you know who we are. And I knew what a big deal it was you know, getting ready for a promotion with those other companies. But with us, it's so built into our DNA. It's like, okay, we're going to have a menu you change and changing products and so forth. So it's kind of standard operating procedure for us. And that's something that I had also definitely wanted to incorporate. And another component was the market. I knew with Starbucks, for example, that the market piece was a very low percentage of sales. It did signify some seasonal change, some new promotional messaging. And with Panera, it was even less than that. And I felt that if I were going to have a market component, that I really wanted to be a viable revenue stream. That's something that, you know, from the beginning that I wanted to incorporate, make it seem more significant that could bolster us up maybe when the cafe sales were down. And that's taken some tweaking over the years, but we've definitely been able to do that. And the other way that that has really helped the brand is in this whole notion of local, because there's so many local artisans and vendors out there. And by playing with that, it keeps us fresh, our offerings fresh. And it's really more on that market retail side, not as much energy and changing things in the cafe. Those were all things that I was thinking about when creating the concept and the menu and what we would be all about. There were other things just in terms of design and making it feel warm and comfortable. Free Wi-Fi, for example. Panera was the only one doing it back then. I knew there were issues, but we did go that route. All of that, it was a lot of things, but all of that kind of got incorporated from the beginning. Well, I really admire your confidence in how you went about launching this concept. You mentioned a locally sourced. Did you have a lot of experience or know where and how to set that up for your restaurant in the sense of like working with farmers or going to, you know, farmers markets and so forth? How did you come to be so adept at locally sourced? No, I did not have a lot of experience. I I was the big corporate marketing person. <laughs> so there were a lot of things on the operation side that, I mean, so many times I have said to myself, oh my goodness, I should have paid more attention. You know, <laughs> no wonder operation, there's all this 75% of the meetings about operations. Now I completely appreciate yeah. that. Oh my goodness. But 
So, you know, in the beginning, we were able to tap some local farmers. We also worked with a distributor who was involved in bringing in produce from within a hundred mile radius. So there were things that we had to do piecemeal and frankly still have to do piecemeal because of our size to get those types of products. What we would often find is that either our demand was greater than the farmer or the berry picker or the cheesemaker were able to provide, or we were too small for them or too small for distributor to bring in the type of products that would meet our specifications. Oh, sure. And especially in the beginning, I mean, we talked to a lot of major distributors that said they would love to carry the types of products that we were looking for. There just wasn't the demand for it and they wished that there was. And we still struggle with that, honestly. And so so purchasing for us is challenging because we're smaller. We have to work with a lot of different suppliers to give us the types of things that we feel meet our brand requirements, our specifications. You know, I'd like everything that we get to be organic and local. It's not, but we try and there's a lot more places that we need to go in order to get the things that we need. And so we buy local when we can. And we also focus on clean. And I know that when it is difficult, we really do try to focus on that, that aspect. We've started making a lot more things ourselves to meet that requirement. So um, were you saying that because of your smaller size, for example, when you were working with distributors, were they saying that uh, we'd love to give you this product, but frankly, you're just not big enough for us to Absolutely. bring this in? So did that mean that you had to either go to cash and carry to yes. do this or? Yes. Oh my gosh, that's exactly right. Because, you know, we we can get some things from major distributors, all the major ones that we know. We might be able to get our salmon from this distributor, but then we get our Mm -hmm. tuna from this distributor. But then we have to go local because we need this organic milk or something and we're going cash and carry. And because we're small, we're still able to do that. So it, it makes it more complicated. So our purchasing manager, it's not like, you know, bring in the truck and that's it. It is not that way in our world, especially with the market component. And that works for us, but it can be challenging too. I can say that as I'm following along how you are launching and setting this up, you obviously have a very specific demographic in mind for who your customer would be. So as you were planning all of this, why don't you talk a little bit about who you saw as your logical and frequent customer visiting the restaurant? In the beginning, and also because my background was in marketing and earlier in my career is very much involved in media planning and buying and so forth. So I felt that you know, at the time it would be someone more like me, someone who was interested in better for you products, who was active, who was interested in healthier lifestyle, healthier food, would be sort of 20s to 40s and might skew female. But I will say that I was pleased to see from the beginning with our first store, we did see other demographics. We saw more baby boomers who were interested, who would come in like, I am an active baby boomer and I want to live longer and healthier. So I'm coming here or, you know, I like being part of this kind of cool vibe. Lots and lots of moms who were interested in healthy food and healthy food for their children. We even have a little kids menu with organic animal crackers and things like that. 
very surprised by that. And then also what we found, of course, is with younger professionals and high school age children that, of course, for them, it was becoming more normal. And so they were definitely already kind of buying in. So rather than it being a little bit more narrow or saying, you know, this is the target, it's men to women, 24 to 54, it didn't end up being that way. It really is a much broader group, but for different reasons. And then what we find is at our various cafes, it will be slightly different. We have a suburban urban farmhouse in the Richmond area, and that's where we get a lot more moms and a lot more children and a lot more high school students. Whereas downtown, we definitely get many more men in an older age group as well. I'm very interested in that. Are you familiar with the term suburban? No. Well, it's it's kind of a newer term in the marketplace, and it's almost like what you had just described. It's kind of an amalgamation of today's customer who is looking for elements of both the suburban and urban in their dining experiences. The restaurant industry has no shortage, as you probably know, of acronyms and terms to describe where we are and what we're doing. And as we mentioned at the beginning, fast casual is probably one of them. I I wanted to go back for a moment and ask you, I take it, list all of the various better for you attributes of your product right on your menu and you list brand names and so forth. Yes. So we very much try to list positive attributes about our oatmeal or where, you know, our veggie sausage comes from, you know, a local farm or where our berries might come from. So we do try to do that. I will say that we copied a little bit. You know, it's funny because I felt like we were first and Panera has definitely been doing some great things with their their clean ingredients list. So we have had that, we've promoted that, and we kind of use that as our checklist. So we try to do that as much as possible within our cafes, on our menus, and even in the messaging that we're sending out. And that's really important. One of the things that as we grow that we're getting more involved in is calling that out even more. Because your customers demand it, I I would think. Oh, yes, absolutely. One of the things that we have seen in particular for us is that, you know, obviously right now, a lot of people are interested in gluten-free products. We see so many different uh, dietary requests. It's not just about gluten, but it's about dairy. It's about nuts. It's about oat milk, coconut milk, soy milk. I'm a pescatarian. I'm a vegan. I'm a vegetarian. I'm allergic to cilantro. Because of the type of brand we are, we expect that. And so we teach our farmhands to be very comfortable when they will get all sorts of requests. And we have to be very familiar with all of the ingredients so that we can accommodate our customers. And in particular, this has been very helpful for us, for example, when we do corporate catering, because that's not too often the case. I'm excited you taught me a new word. <laughs> <laughs> well, Serban. I'm remembering because we have yeah, Serban. <laughs> I, I think uh, in another podcast down the road, we maybe talk to you about that too and how you've adapted that. <laughs> anyway, I wanted to go back and, and talk a little bit about uh, your demographic, for example. And obviously, you do set your, your menu and what you offer with a certain guest or customer in mind. But on the other hand, that also means that they might be where you tap for your workforce in recruiting and managing, hiring and training. And I know that there's uh, issues around hiring and training. I know that a lot of those issues are discussed in the Fast Casual Industry Council uh, when you guys get together and talk about how we can be better at this sort of thing. 
how did you become your company's expert at recruiting the right people, managing and so forth and, and the training? This is where my corporate background did help because, and especially going back to McDonald's, I'm very much procedure oriented. From the beginning, we had very defined job descriptions and we had a handbook and we had operations manuals and procedures for everything. So that was something that, again, because of my background, I knew that we had to have those things in place. And we did. However, again, back to what I was saying earlier, not with the operations background being very strong. You know, there obviously are hiccups and you can have everything that you want, but it does have to be taught. There were some really cool things that I took from my years with Starbucks, for example, where they established learning journeys and it was very logical to me. And so I tried to incorporate that from when someone starts as an hourly farmhand to being promoted to Shiftly to being promoted to a full salaried manager. The other thing that I found to be very important, we do serve alcohol, wine and beer. So I did have to say, I want everyone working here to be over 21. So that's helped a little bit, but it's also a downside because if you're hiring a lot of college students, they're only going to be with you a short time before they graduate. And then the other thing that I also learned early on is that everything for us is in front of house. All of the preparation is done in front of house. And our farmhands need to be very comfortable engaging with customers. You know, a farmhand can be making a salad for a customer and they're right in front of you saying, well, does that have cilantro in it? And does it have this? And does it have that? And so that person prepping that food needs to be very comfortable engaging. And initially we were hiring people that were very expert with food that had been in back of house in traditional restaurant settings. And they weren't comfortable with that. And that created some, sometimes some tense moments. So what I did was I created what I call an engagement score. And it's a very simple five-point questionnaire that's a tool for managers when they're hiring. Because if you're interviewing somebody, they have to be comfortable communicating with you, maintaining eye contact, being engaged with you. Because if they're not, then they're not going to be good in our kind of setting where everything is out there. And so those were things that we learned and some things that we incorporated in the hiring process and evaluation. That sounds great. That's a very valuable, as you say, learning on your journey, that certainly is something I think other fast casual operators can incorporate into what they're doing. Certainly something that you've learned through your experience, I'll say that. So, I, you know, it's funny, we were talking about these new ingredients and how I want almond milk or oat milk or something of that nature. I remember seeing many years ago, because I too am a, a baby boomer like you, and I, I saw a kind of a joke, I think it was in New York, where two people were talking to each other and it just said, I have no idea what gluten-free means, but I think I will avoid gluten. In other words, <laughs> it sounds like something I ought to just shy away from. And sometimes <laughs> I think, you know, we're in the uh, heat of the moment and we say, well, we can't do that and we can't have this. And sometimes uh, it's hastily right at, but I, I applaud you for doing your engagement score with your trainers. In your uh, marketplace there, did you find that your desire to do the higher wage was dictated by the local employment scene there? Or did you just feel like this would help us get the type of server we wanted? I did think it would help us get the type of farmhands that we wanted. And I felt like it was kind of the right thing to do. 
in the beginning, putting together my financials and again, more marketing that wasn't my strong suit. I felt like that's what we should do. And we did do it. And it was a little higher than the business kind of warranted. We took a little bit of a step back, but I just thought it was the right thing to do. And I kind of admired the partner focus that Starbucks had with their people. And I wanted to try to incorporate and still plan to incorporate a lot of that as we grow. I've been telling everyone now for several years, we're not going to have beanstalk, but we'll have cornstalk. (laughs) (laughs) It'll be the same kind of the same kind of thing, though. Yeah. Do you find that your employees need to educate your customers or do you find that your customers pretty much know what it is they want and how they want it? Do you think that there are arcane terms on your menu that some of your customers may not be familiar and need to be explained? Well, honestly, in the beginning, I would say that we did have to do a lot of explaining, but these days, that's not the case. These days, our customers are educated, and when they're coming to Urban Farmhouse, they know what they want, and they're very specific about that. That has definitely changed in the last eight years or so. Let's switch gears for a minute and maybe talk a little bit about technology and third-party delivery, which I know are big issues as well for our industry. You mentioned that you do a lot of your food prep in the open in front of the customer. Do you find that the growth of these third-party delivery apps has changed that equation for you in the restaurant's you know, it's sort of interesting. We we are a little bit behind. We're smaller. So we use two major third-party delivery services. We are seeing growth there. Very shortly, we're hoping in the next 60 to 90 days to launch our own online ordering app. And that's when I think things will dramatically change. I think we're still known as come in, kind of hang out, pick up food. We really kind of get caught a little bit more in that fast, casual cafe type of environment. So therefore, where we have to improve to grow our volume is to be quicker because there is a little bit of that sense of cafe, sit down, hang out. I'm going to wait a while. I think that we are going to need to change very quickly. Our percentage for takeout and delivery right now is smaller, but I expect that to change very rapidly over the next several months. And so, of course, like my colleagues, we are struggling with how are we going to package that product for delivery? And we are dealing with all the same issues. It's something that we've made some adjustment for because of the changes that we've seen already, but we expect it to change even more. And we'll have to make even more changes in regards to packaging, et cetera. How does uh, the third-party delivery work with an operation of your size? Do you interview and select the third-party deliverer or are they approaching you and saying, we want to be among your businesses that your customers can use? Early on, for example, we use Uber Eats and We tend to be sort of the early adopters. And then the other thing I find to be interesting is with Uber, they were really keen to get someone that could provide coffee. And I just felt like that wouldn't be something that, why would you order coffee and then have it delivered 20 minutes later or cappuccino? But it actually happens quite a bit. And of course, third-party delivery does charge uh, delivery fees and so forth. And the reason I was asking about interviewing is that if something goes wrong with a third-party delivery, who gets the blame? Is it the deliverer or is it the uh, person at your restaurant who put together? Oh, it's us. Yeah, it's us. I can tell you it's us. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So anyway, do you uh, have mechanisms in place to kind of track that? I mean, to be honest, at this point, we know how it looks and you know, we have it prepared and we've changed the packaging so that things can be a little bit more secure. But 
nothing so extensive that we've ensured that it's going to be exactly that way on the other end. So, you know, um, I will tell you that um, the, the whole, you know, online ordering as a boomer, everyone that works for me is significantly younger. And they would say, oh no, that's all. I don't want to talk to a person. I just want to order it. And I'm like, really? Because for me, like, I want to feel confident about my food and how it's delivered, maybe a pizza. But other than that, I'd be very cautious. But I do see millennials are absolutely the opposite of that. But a good point you brought up, I remember when I was developing my business plan back in 2007, 2008, I might even have been a little bit with Panera at that time. <laughs> but everyone's talking about working away from home or working at home. And that was going to be a real challenge for restaurants. But I felt, and I still have it in my, I go back and I look at that business plan and I'm like, yeah, well, I was spot on. And it sounds corny, but people still need people. <laughs> And this is why I'm confident with our concept, because we did build this warm third place hanging out environment. Sometimes that's to our detriment because we have a lower ticket. And I'm like, no, I need people to buy stuff. But from day one, our cafes, they're full with people that are working and they're by themselves. And I'll look and right along the wall, there's just one person, one person, one person, maybe two people having a meeting, but people are still coming. They still need to come and be somewhere. So I feel for our particular concept, because of the feel of the place when you come in there, that we haven't seen that to be an issue. Our issue is having people maybe not hang out so much and how can we get more purchases and get our average ticket up. But I feel with the right type of environment, we'll still be able to attract people. And what I'm hoping is that as we increase our online ordering, which we'll see over the next few months, that that's really going to be incremental sales because people know generally when they're coming in, it's going to be a little bit different experience. It's not going to be fast food. It may not be as quick. We still try to work on you know a seven minute ticket time but because everything's prepared fresh, it's just a different feel. It's not kind of in and out. It's not as quick as like a Chipotle and people are hanging out that that incremental sale will be because you know what? I couldn't get in there today because they were full and it was going to take a little longer, but now I can get that sandwich tonight that I was craving for lunch today. That's the plan. <laughs> That's great. I really uh, applaud you for that. Let's talk for a moment, if you don't mind, about... Um... You've employed many technological advances in what you've done in your career along the way, and certainly with Farmhouse. How has technology helped you feel like, you know, you can do whatever the bigger guys are doing, even though you're not quite as big? I'm glad you brought that up because this is something where I feel that technology, like with marketing, you know, I was with McDonald's for 15 years or so, and I worked both for the company and for some of the larger advertising agencies where we had literally millions of dollars to spend in mass media. And that's what drove the needle because you're driving discount and you're hitting that message hard. Then I go to a company like Starbucks where, you know, it's completely the opposite. You don't have a budget and they're not doing mass media, but they have a really cool kind of brand. So that's something that I paid attention to. Then all of a sudden we now have social media. And this is something where, frankly, I have been focusing on developing the concept and growth. 
but I feel very much so that with social media, that it's a level playing field and we're only limited by our creativity because if we can do something phenomenal, then it will go viral and we will get the buzz. And that's going to get as much play in this day and age as putting a whole bunch of GRPs on, well, you can't even get really get prime time too much anymore, but it really does. And I feel really good about that. You know, I learned other things too about how to create an event that is noteworthy if you have a cool brand, a cool idea that can get some buzz in the marketplace and free publicity. And those are things I learned from Starbucks. And I just remember that transition. It was really kind of interesting. I feel like it's worked in our favor. Great. Do you have folks on staff who also help you do that and maybe are even more knowledgeable about technology than you are? You know, it's sort of interesting you say that because I'm like, okay, I'm the marketing person. But today I had to have somebody come in, okay, and explain to me how this Instagram thing works. <laughs> but um, I had budgeted for a local marketing agency and we had some part-time marketing people. We've kind of stepped back a little bit from that. We use interns all year round. You know, we're all kind of helping out with our small support team to do those things. But I've made it a point when I see other leaders, when I know, I think we all know who they are, that if they can be that visible with social media, that daggone it, I can learn that as well. I've kind of made it a point to do that, but it's a little bit of a mixture. So my mission is I can step back from operations to do more with marketing and social media. I can do that. But honestly, I am asking some of the other young marketing interns here. I, I know how to do it, but it's like, okay, what's the reaction? How should I do it kind of thing to appeal to people that would be interested? So I, I get the whole idea that hasn't changed. You know, who am I trying to reach? And I know how I need to reach them, but then it's sort of the mechanics of it. And I definitely have had to lean upon them heavily for support, but I'm feeling more confident. Now what will come into play is kind of the basics, which is let's develop our objectives. What are we trying to achieve? Who are we trying to go after? And let's do it. So that comes into play. It's just a little bit different. And I've used local freelancers, agencies, part-time. So it's been a combination of things that we've had to do because we are smaller. So you talked about how technology can make things easier for you. Are there aspects of technology that actually make your work harder? Our director of finance and our purchasing manager, that's what they love. They're into analyzing the data and the analysis of food cost and product comparisons and sales and transactions and all of that. There's been nothing that has been an impediment. What I'm finding now, interestingly, and this is over the last, not even a year, but all of a sudden out of the woodwork are so many companies that are offering the same services. Well, if you come with us, we can consolidate this. If you come with us, we can do this, both from a purchasing standpoint, an analysis standpoint, human resources standpoint. There's so many companies out there now that are offering so many services. There's a lot of overlap. You know, I'm just trying to figure out which ones are going to be the best one for us that we can afford and we can get the most services from. But they're coming out of the woodwork and we just signed with a new payroll company and we just signed with a new service that is going to help us with managing our margins and cost comparisons and distributions. So, yeah, a lot of interesting learnings along the way for you, aren't there? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, especially in that analyzing data. You know, I can really certainly see how people can go down that rabbit hole and try to figure out what's going to be happening in the future. 
Speaking of the future, we who are witness to and sometimes participate in so much of the technology affecting our industry today, if you had a crystal ball and could look out maybe five years just based on how quickly things change, do you think that we are going to see a lot more AI in restaurants, a lot more robotics, drones delivering my sandwiches to my customers? Do you really feel that that's going to be embraced by our industry? I do. To what extent I question, and frankly, from my perspective, with the challenges that our company faces in terms of you know wages and training and insurance and all of those sorts of things. You know, honestly, if there are ways that I could eliminate some of these issues with technology, I, I would embrace that. I think for us, the experience is something that's important. And that cafe part, the market part, that's going to be important. But as we build third-party delivery, and if there's a way to have technology involved or having a drone deliver it, and frankly, a drone could even be better because I'm not going to have to worry about my food being tampered with. And doing it in kind of a cool way that's right for us. Maybe it's, you know, our brand bird that's flying it. Right. <laughs> you know, there's a way to make it cool. So. I think yes. And of course, I think we're going to see it just ramp up even more as, as time goes by. I think even younger generations are going to accept it even more. So I would say yes. And I would support that too. You know, I know I've often said that, you know, technology is for everyone, but its applications and its uses are not for everyone. Everyone cannot use it the same way. For example, I know that they have um, robots delivering uh, meals on some college campuses. I mean, that works great in a very closed environment like that. How that's going to work in downtown Chicago, I'm not sure. But it's kind of interesting to know that there is a, a technological advancement right around the corner. Well, Kathleen, I think we're sadly coming to the end of our conversation here today, but I wanted to uh, certainly extend my gratitude and thanks for you joining us on episode four of Fast Casual Insider. I really feel that our conversation was full of actionable advice for the operators uh, looking to grow their concepts and businesses, and I know that they will benefit greatly from your insight. Kathleen Richardson, thank you very much for being with us today. Thank you, Jerry. I very much enjoyed it. Me too. Listeners can subscribe to our podcast on your favorite services or find us at restaurant.org forward slash podcasts. This episode was produced by Dante32.